Do you believe that? It's true, and he wants to involve you. Now, how many of you, maybe somebody here today, anybody ever had stage fright? That's a lot of people. Yeah, just a few minutes ago, is that, yeah, okay, all right. What is stage fright? It's what it says, right? I mean, you're afraid to be on stage, by yourself especially. You know, I've always, um, I really have never had any problem speaking publicly. Even when I was a kid, I would do, you know, plays and things like that. It just always kind of, uh, I still get nervous every time, believe it or not. You know, a few seconds before I stand up, I'm, butterflies never has gone away. I've been preaching for, I guess, almost 18 years now, and I still, to this day, I think it's God's way of keeping me humble. I don't know. Um, But when I was in music in high school and college, I always loved playing with a group. I played the trumpet for, for through college. But whenever I would do a solo, I would get so terrified, I'd usually mess it up. I mean, to the point to where I got, got to where I was like, pick the guy next to me. I don't, I don't want to do that. I mean, there was something about that. I could play with a group and loved playing with a group. I was listening to uh, the jazz band Mike is a part of uh, the night we got to sit in on their last, one of their last rehearsals and brought back memories. You know, I was never as good as, as they are, but uh, it brought back memories of how fun it was to play with a group. And then all of a sudden Mike starts playing this solo and uh, I'm like, man, I never could do that. I just, it, it, but it's for some reason stage fright. And, and, and it's, it, it's the difference for me in that instance of being with a group Versus standing all alone. And that's true in a lot of areas of life, isn't it? I mean, when you are all alone, or you feel like you're all alone in the world, there's, there are very, very few emotions that are more terrifying than that. But to know that someone's standing next to you, whether it's playing in a band, or on a team, or doing a project together, or working towards something of kingdom value. There's something about knowing that you've got someone standing next to you. And regardless of whether a human being is standing next to you or not, there is one promise that all of us who are followers of Christ have, is that in in any and every situation in all of our lives, even when it doesn't feel like it, we can be sure that God is standing right next to us. He's not only standing next to us, his presence, he's living in and through us. And that's what I want to look at this morning, the promise of presence. If we look in Joshua chapter 1, which is where we're going to be this morning, this is a critical time. Moses has just died. He has passed the torch of leadership to Joshua. And Joshua now stands as the general. He now stands as the leader of this people following one of the greatest leaders of all time, but he is tasked with leading the nation of Israel into the promised land. After 40 years of wandering, uh, Joshua now has to, to lead the nation of Israel across the flood-swollen Jordan and into battle against fortified city, the cities of, city of Canaan. Certainly... You know, we could all agree that this was not a job for the faint-hearted. This was a huge task now that Joshua was called to undertake, but he accepts it. Just think about it. Spying out 
the city of Jericho, crossing the Jordan, circumcising a new generation. He's the, the one who survived the 40 years of wandering because of his faithfulness 40 years earlier. God set him apart for this purpose, and now he's called to take on this gigantic task. But Joshua has an ace in the hole. Joshua has a promise that will sustain him through this difficult time. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land that I'm giving the Israelites. I've given you, listen to this, I've given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, and all of the Hittites, the land of the Hittites, and west of the Mediterranean Sea. I love this. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you, just in case you didn't hear it earlier, I will be with you, Just as I was with Moses. What I promised Moses, I'm promising you. I will not leave you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. requires obedience. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. And finally, haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or encouraged. And one more time, just so we get it, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua had a promise. He had to live out. He had to be obedient. And for us, living God's way, living life God's way, and accomplishing the plans that he has for us, just Joshua has this huge task ahead of him. And listen, living God's plan is no small task either. When we have to live out God's plan in obedience, that is what he calls us to do is so much bigger than our ability. It requires God's power and God's strength, most importantly, God's presence. But thankfully, we have the same promise that Joshua had. Look at Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, quoting from Joshua, I will never leave you or abandon you. So the writer of Hebrews takes that promise. Just so we don't leave it in the context of Joshua and the Israelites, he's saying that same promise applies to us today, to believers in the New Testament church. We have the same promise. So with this promise in mind, I want to ask you a few questions. All right, Feel free to answer. You can fill in the blanks for me. Hopefully you'll get the right answer, all right? 
Question number one. Has God always been there for you? Yes. Yes. Some people might say no, right? Depending on their life experience. But the truth is, God has always been there for you and me. Even before I knew him, he knew me. He's always been there for me. John 1.1, in the beginning, the word, Jesus, just to make no mistake, he didn't come into existence when he was born. In the beginning was the word. The word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. And here's the deal. One of the great things about this book right here is it gives us testimonies of people who walked with the Lord through the ages. And one thing is for certain, that's that God has a reputation of being there for his children. Undebatable. God has a reputation of being there for his children. So let's just take a little walk through a few examples this morning. You know, I think about Jacob fleeing from his brother Esau. And Isaac instructs him to go to Padan Aram. Um, and so Jacob, understandably, is, is scared. You know, he's got to venture out here. But God had a plan for Jacob. Despite everything that had happened previously, God had a plan for Jacob. And one night, he's on his way to Badan Haram, and he sets up camp. He finds a good place to camp. He sets up camp, and that night he has a dream. And this is what the Lord tells him. He's going to a new place. He's scared. He doesn't know what's ahead, but here's what the Lord tells him. Genesis 28, 15. I'm with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until you have done what I've promised. I'll be with you. And that's what Jacob needed. And that's what we all need. And think about Joshua. We're talking about Joshua today. If you back up to Deuteronomy 31, when Moses is about to die and he passes the torch to Joshua, here's what he says. Moses continued to speak these words to Israel, saying, I'm now 120 years old. I can no longer act as your leader. The Lord has told me, you will not cross this Jordan. The Lord your God is the one who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will drive them out. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, as the Lord said. The Lord will deal with them as he did Sahon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them over to you, and you must do to them as I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Sound familiar? Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God who goes with you, he will not leave you or forsake you. Moses had learned that time and time again. He's reassuring the people. Then Moses summons Joshua. He knows he's got a big task ahead of him. Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of Israel, Be strong and courageous. Sounds like Moses and Joshua are hearing from the same God, doesn't it? Be strong and courageous, for you will go with this people into the land the Lord swore to give their fathers. You will enable them to take possession of it. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. But also think about Gideon. You know, another pretty large task, right? God calls Gideon to take out the Midianites. The only problem is, is Gideon had about uh, 32,000 available men, 
And the Amorites had somewhere, or the Midianites had somewhere around 135,000 men. So God says, listen, we're going to do this in a way, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously. He says, we're going to do this in a way that shows that it's not you doing it, but it's me, God. So he takes that 32,000, and immediately all the people, if you're timid, go home, and they lose about 22,000 in an instant. So we're down to, what, 10,000. I have to check my math. Y'all know I'm not good at math. We're down to about 10,000, but God says, no, that's still too many. I'm going to take you down to 300. And, of course, Gideon's going, there's no way. There's no way. But that's all that Gideon would need because Joshua, or Judges 6.16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and I, not you, I will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And we know the story, the pots, the horns, the Midianites take themselves out because God fought their battles. He was with them. The Jewish exiles in Babylon, time and time again, I'm sure, I know, we see it in Scripture. They question, God, where are you? What are you doing? Have you abandoned us? And God reassures them in Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And there are those times where all we have is the hand of God holding us up. And we can't forget David. I know I'm kind of jumping back and forth here, but I think it's pretty good to land on a guy like David. Man after God's own heart. David wasn't perfect. He blew it big time. But he, overall, over the course of his life, he pursued God. And he knew facing a giant, the lion, the bear, running for his life from Saul, he knew what it was like to only, only have the presence of God. And he knew the faithfulness of God throughout his life. And so he tells his son Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28, 20, Be strong and courageous. Again, same God. And do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord my God, the Lord God, my God, is with you. He won't leave you. I've experienced it, Solomon, my whole life. He's never left me, and he won't leave you or abandon you until all the work for the service of the Lord, Lord's house is finished. You know what? God has a plan for you. God has a plan for me. God has a plan for this church, and he will not abandon us until that plan is complete. He has been and he will be there for his people because he is eternal, he is faithful, he is holy, he is separate, but thankfully, thank you, Lord, he is loving. And he cares for his people. Psalm 104, verse 5, he set the earth on its foundations and it can, be, and can never be moved. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his promises are sure. Now think about personally, in my life, my salvation... As a seven-year-old boy coming to understand who God was and that he died. Jesus died on the cross for me. And as much as a seven-year-old could understand that if I did not turn my life over to him, that I would spend eternity separated from him and that 
by His grace, He saved me and set me free. And now as a 45-year-old man looking back and knowing that even before I knew who He was, He knew me. And He chose me. And He set me apart for His service. To set me free. And to use me for His kingdom work. Ephesians 1.4 He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. We didn't choose Him. He chose us. And He says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. And I'm going to set you on a path for my kingdom work. And it's going to be hard. And it's going to be challenging. And there are going to be days when you're ready to give up, but do not fear. Be strong in the same promises. Be strong and courageous because I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. The writer, we see, we see Hebrews, and we'll, we'll hit that again in a minute, but Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews takes that same promise that Joshua had and he applies it to us today. We have the same God and the same promise. God has always been there for us. In fact, he knew you before you knew him. Question number two. You ready? God's always been there for you. Is he presently here for you now? Yes, he is. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, though, doesn't it? I mean, sometimes we get in those times of where God is silent, Okay, let's all be honest. We get in those moments, those periods of time where we're praying and we're praying and we're praying and we're waiting and we know God's got something for us in the future. We know he's got a plan for us and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're hearing nothing. It feels like our prayers don't even reach the ceiling sometimes. You know, they just fall flat. But God, just because we're not hearing from God, sometimes he says, you, you, need to, you need to just sit and wait, which is so hard because we're impatient. But you just need to wait and listen. Focus on me. There's something I want to teach you in this moment. But just because we don't hear from him doesn't mean he's not there. You know, we think of relationship as I'm a talker, all right? If y'all haven't learned that about me, you come in my office, you better plan to stay a while, right? Because I love to talk. I mean, I just, you know, whatever. And, and, but we think of relationship that way, don't we? And certainly communication is vital to any relationship. But you know what? There are times I've learned in almost 20 years of marriage where just being in her presence is something special. Just being. Sometimes there's nothing to say. There are times where there, you don't know what to say, right? Just be there. Just being present. My kids, baseball, ballet. Y'all don't tell Gracie, but I'd rather go to a baseball game than a ballet recital <laughs> or any. Ballet, you know, debate, whatever. I want to be there. I don't have to say anything, but just being there, right, is something. You can't replace those moments. We think we got to hear from God continuously. And he's faithful and he will speak. But sometimes we just need to sit and let him be there. Be still and know 
that I'm God. But be assured, he is always, always there. Again, the writer of Hebrews quotes Joshua 1, verse 5, and applies it to Christians today. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. That's all about priorities, folks. Don't rest and take comfort in those things. Don't look, when, when, it, when you're looking for answers, don't go looking in all these other places. For he himself said, I will never leave you or abandon you. So how is he with believers today? Well, in the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16 and verse 26. Jesus said that I will ask when I leave, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've told you. So let's, let's think about that, okay? The Holy Spirit, God himself, inhabits his people. So he is not only here, he is in us. His presence. For those of us who know Jesus personally, he is with. God has always been there for you. And if you don't know him personally, he's here for you now. All you have to do is turn your eyes to him and accept salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ. Surrender your life to him and you will have the same God that Joshua, Abraham, that that David, Solomon, that the rest of us who know Christ have. He will inhabit you as well. He, he, he promises to be there for his people, and he is in the form of the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Holy Spirit is with you to comfort you, for one. Hebrews 13, 6. We've read 5. Let's read verse 6. Therefore we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? You know, during World War II, there was a, a contingent of American troops in Normandy who were who were holding a few German soldiers hostage. And they were doing it. They were, they were manning their post. They had been told to man their post. They were doing it at great cost. All right? Losing people, losing their lives. I mean, it was this, you know, just even holding these few prisoners. Great risk. But they got a message. They were, they were holding their own. They, they knew they, they weren't going to be able to last much longer with the attacks that they were, the, the hits they were taking. But the message comes to them that relief was on the way. Forces, reinforcements were coming. All right? So they knew instantly. They were ready to give up, but they knew instantly, hey, we're not alone here. Matter of fact, the greatest allied force known to man at that point, they were coming to their rescue. They knew help was on the way. They knew reinforcements were coming, and that was all they needed. They were ready to give up, but help is on the way. You're not alone. That's all they needed. Now, do you think the prisoners were rejoicing the same as those soldiers? Absolutely not. They had no hope. So let's think about this. You're in either one of two categories. You're either in the Lord's army or you're a prisoner. You're either the one fighting, forget the greatest allied force, not to minimize anyone who's ever served, but, but, but set that aside and compare it to the greatest army ever known to man, God's army. If you're a part of his forces, you've got reason to rejoice. But if you're a prisoner, there's not much hope. There's no hope at all. You don't share the same blessing 
as those within the family of God. And the reason we know, the reason we have the, 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 the ability and the, we have reason to rejoice is because we know that God is with us as we go through this life. And guess what? Help is on the way because one day he's going to come and take us home to be with him. We have those assurances, the promise of God. The Holy Spirit is with us to comfort us, but he's also here to strengthen us as we fulfill the plan he has for us. Again, look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. says, Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them as an inheritance. Be strong and courageous. God was with Joshua then, and the same God that was with Joshua is now with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Seneca, the Roman historian philosopher, said this, No one is free who is slave to the body. Your laws were weak, subject to all fleshly desires. We are slaves. We're slaves to sin, but we're slaves to our own bodies, our sinful existence. And so there's no one who is free who's slave to the body. That's profound. But in 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul specifically refers to the body of the believer as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't you realize, he says, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. We've been bought with a price. But the body, he says, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But then in 1 Corinthians 3.16, previously, he said, Don't you, you yourselves know that you, the whole person is God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives within you. So on the surface, it kind of seems like there's a little bit of a contradiction there. Is the body the temple or is the whole person the temple or is the whole church the temple? Well, speaking specifically of the body, you got to think about these verses because both are correct. Both are key in understanding the inhabitants of God and the person that he, uh, the Holy Spirit inhabiting the person. They're both important in understanding that. Our spirit pervades our body, and it's through the works of the body that the spirit, the real person, is shown. Because, you know, all people see is the exterior, right? They see what we do. They see how we act. They see how we treat others. They see how we respond to temptation, how we respond to trials. That The pressure is on the body. The stress is on the body. But Paul knew that the body is the last area of man to be brought entirely under the Spirit's influence and power. So, we need to think about it this way. The bodily temple gives us the complete picture of the fully consecrated man. And the fully consecrated man is strengthened and equipped to do God's work. So as the Holy Spirit inhabits us, and as we grow, and as He continues to sanctify us, there are those desires, there are those temptations, there's those struggles that we have, all of those things. But the more we are living in submission to Christ, the more we are controlled by the Spirit of Christ, the more that's evident in what everybody else sees. It's all a part of sanctification, which is, is strengthened and fueled by God's presence in our lives. So when you see someone who is becoming more and more like Christ who continues in faithfulness, that is a testimony, that's an example of the Holy Spirit working in their lives, which is proof, further proof, that God's presence is with his people. 
An old, old man once said it took him 40 years to learn three simple things. The first was that he could not do anything to save himself. The second was that God did not expect him to. And the third was that Christ had done it all. And all he had to do was accept that accomplished fact. So when it comes to Holy Spirit-filled living and the grace of God, I want you to keep this saying in your minds, in your hearts and your minds. You can probably write it down. It's pretty short. You can't. God never said you could. But praise God, He can. He always said He would. You can't. I can't. Whatever it is, we can't do it on our own. But the great news is, is God never said you had to, or I had to. He can, He will, and He'll be with us and strengthen us. The Holy Spirit's there to comfort us, to strengthen us, and to teach us. He'll teach you all things. You know, I've, I, as I've just displayed a few minutes ago, I've never, ever been good in math. Ever. I'm the one that does the budget in our house. It's a discipline thing for me. Mandy has had to step in it a few times and help me figure it out. But I, I've just never been great at math. And, you know, I, I'm convinced that, that there are two different types of, types of brains. Brains that can comprehend equations in the abstract uh, aspects of math and those that can't, and I'm definitely one that can't, okay? I would sit in class, algebra, I would sit in class, and I would pay attention and follow the teacher most of the time, and, and watch the teacher. She would do an equation, and I would follow her step by step by step and think, I've got this. I really do. But somewhere between class and home, it would leak out of my ear or something, out of my brain, out of my ear, and I'd lose it. I'd get home, and I would try to do the same equation on my own, and I kid you, I just couldn't do it. I do something, something about my brain, I can't do it. So I still had to take algebra, and I really wanted to graduate high school. So thankfully, my parents loved me, and they paid for a tutor. I couldn't do it on my own, so this tutor would come and meet with me once a week. I had a couple of different tutors through high school, you know, I had different, different algebra classes. Um, but she would come, or he, depending on which tutor it was, and spend an hour or so with me and help me work through my homework and teach me. I couldn't do it on my own. I had to have that tutor. Anybody else had a tutor at some point in your life? Some of you have been tutors, right? Some of you that are smarter than me actually got to do that. Nobody ever asked me to be a tutor. I don't know why. But, uh, uh, but that, that, that in my mind, I, I make that connection, right? Because there was no way. I tried. I really tried, folks. I couldn't do it on my own. I had to have that tutor. I had to have that help. I had to first admit that I couldn't do it on my own and receive that help. Well, that's the same for us. We can't do it on our own. We first have to admit we're helpless on our own. But the Holy Spirit acts as more than a tutor, but certainly in life's decisions and learning the Word of God that we can't understand on our own, we cannot apply on our own. He's our tutor. He teaches us. He helps us understand everything that's in here. And by understand, I don't just mean head knowledge. I mean the heart knowledge that takes place when we take it and we live it out every day. He helps us. He's our tutor. He's our instructor. He teaches us so much. Jesus knows Period. 
He knows. Whatever it is that you're facing, whatever decisions you're having to make, whatever challenges that you're faced with, whatever your kids are going through that you're having to try to help them through, whatever your parents are dealing with, when those roles reverse sort of and you become the parents of the parents, whatever family crisis that you're dealing with, whatever it is in your life, Jesus knows. He's there. He knows. You may not know how to get through it, and you can't get through it on your own, but if you will live in faith day by day by day, he knows, and he'll teach you. He'll give you what you need, the strength, the encouragement, the comfort when you need it, when you just need to crawl into his lap and cry a little bit, rest in his presence. And then when you make those decisions, sometimes in the moment, he teaches us, but he'll teach you. He's faithful. God's there. He knows. Jesus knows. No, no, no question about that. God is with us. Another important aspect of the Holy Spirit is he's there to convict us. You know, David was faithful. God was with him, but David blew it. Sometimes you and I are going to blow it. Sometimes we're going to be faced with the decision We know the right decision to make, and we make the wrong decision. Or just by mistake, because we're not perfect. We make the wrong decision. We do something that we shouldn't. But then the verse says, he will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So even when we do blow it, which we all do, if we submit, he'll say, okay, gently, sometimes at first, if we're stubborn, he gets more forceful, right? None of you have ever experienced that, have you? gently at first he says okay now you you've blown it but remember remember what I've taught you remember what you already know or or if you don't know it let me teach you now let's do it the right way let's do a course correction here and he shows us and this is an important part of our salvation first conviction but it doesn't stop there this is a vital part of our sanctification process as we grow Think about it this way. The Holy Spirit's kind of like an antiseptic in this way, in this function. Now, to be effective, an antiseptic has to come into contact with the infected area, right? You can't just hold it close and hope, you know, or or put it next to the infected area. It's got to come in direct contact. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit has to have, and this is hard, but the Holy Spirit, and we have a part in this, We've got to submit. We've got to open up. We have to allow the Holy Spirit. We have to submit completely because the Holy Spirit has to have direct access to the innermost parts of your being. And when we really think about that, that's a little frightening, isn't it? Because we know who we are. And, and listen, all of us are sinful. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Even the best person in the world has sin and has things in their life that nobody else knows about, has temptations, has struggles, has their thorn in the flesh, whatever it is that nobody else knows about. But if we are truly going to be followers of Christ, if we are truly going to fulfill the plan that God has for us now and in the future, we can't hold back. We can't say, okay, God, you can have this part, but I'm keeping this part, whatever is in that part. I'll let you control, 
you know, my church life, my work life, my social life, but I'm going to take care of my finances. Or I'm, I'll let you have my ministry. I'll let you have my, my hobbies. I'll let you have even, you know, my thoughts and, and all of that things. But when it comes to my kids, I think I can protect them better than you can. Or Lord, I, I'll submit this area to you. I'll confess this sin and I'll 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 seek forgiveness in this sin. But but I'm not I, I'm I'm not ready to let go of this because I really don't think that's that bad. No, we gotta let him have it all. And if we as a church are going to move forward and experience the plan that God has for us, we've got to decide right now, in this moment, in this place, and every day from here on forward, that it is His, and we are His, and we submit to Him completely. We give Him all. It's His way, His direction, that we're not going to determine the course of our lives and His church, that we're going to let Him have everything. And whatever he says, we're going to do. And when he says, we're going to do it when he says, do it. But if we will do that, if we will give him access to even the most intimate parts of our lives and our church, God will do something in and through us that we've never experienced before. I believe that. If we'll give him everything, he's a miracle worker. He's a God who can defeat 135,000 men, not with 300 men, because really they just broke some pots and blew some horns. He did it all by himself, against all odds. And if he can do that, I can't wait to see what he will do through us if we will submit completely. Remember this, God is here with you today to help you become and accomplish what he has planned for you. And by you, I mean all of us. Question number three. You didn't know you were going to have a test today, did you? God has always been there for you. He is there with you now. Pretty easy test so far. Will God always be there for you? Yes, he will. Ephesians or Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Seems simple at first, but when you dig into that, This is what you are to say to the Israelites. He says, who am I going to tell them sent me? He said, I am has sent you, has sent me to you. He has always been, he is, and he always will be. Whatever we're going through in life doesn't change who God is. He's constant. And I don't know about you, but I take great comfort in that. Life has its ups and downs, its ins and outs, its hurts joys. You're on top of the mountain one minute, you're at the bottom the next. Boy, that fall can be quick, can it? But God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's telling Moses a lot of things here, but he's telling Moses, nothing that's going to happen in Egypt is going to surprise me. I've already got all this worked out, Moses. You don't need to worry. I am. I am has sent you. Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come, the Almighty. 
God was there in the beginning, and he will be there with us through the rest of eternity. We have the same promise that Joshua had in Joshua 1.5 and verse 9. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. I've read that a million times this week, over and over and over again. Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Here's the deal. He was with Moses, Abraham for that. He was with Joshua. He was with Gideon. He was with David. He was with Solomon. He was with the apostles. All the great men and women of the faith, the hall of faith in Hebrews, he was with them then. And the same God, if we live in obedience to this word right here, all these great people we learn about in this awesome, incredible, holy, inspired, living word, the same God that was with them will be there for us today and in the future. Because he's told us, and God does not lie in Matthew 28, 20, remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And here's a truth that I pray will give you great comfort this morning. As God's people, we can move forward in God's will and be assured of God's presence, regardless of what comes. Romans 8.31, if God, what a great song, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Think about this question before you answer it, okay? Don't answer quick. I should tip you right there, right? Final question, was there ever a time when God wasn't there for one of his children? Think about it. Don't answer too quick. Everybody's want to say no? Think, think about it, though. Was there ever a time? Yeah, there was a time. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There was a time. When Jesus Christ took on your sin and my sin, the sin of the world, when he took on the wrath of God, God turned his back on his only son. He left then so that you and I can enter his presence now. He left in that moment so that we could have the comfort and assurance of knowing that he would never leave us now or forever. Yeah, he did one time. One time, he turned his back on Jesus when Jesus took on our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ who never sinned to be offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now think about that. Never sinned. Didn't have to do what he did. He took on our sin, and he did this so that we could be in his presence now and for all of eternity, so that we could know our creator and know what real life is, eternal life. He left then, God left the presence of Jesus, but before that, Jesus left the glories of heaven then so that we could know him now and throughout eternity. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Romans 5, 8 and 9, but God proves, don't doubt the love of God, because God proves his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we've been now justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from his wrath? No, do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. We've been saved from the wrath of God. Ephesians 1 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, which is the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. By grace, you've been saved through faith. Now, I thought about getting a, a, a helper this morning, but you'll understand in a minute, I just didn't want to insult anybody. In Southeast Asia, years ago, they were hunting monkeys, and I didn't want to call anybody a monkey today, so I'll be the monkey, all right? But in Southeast Asia, they figured out, some hunters figured out an ingenious way to trap monkeys. They were having trouble, so they figured out that if they put some little nuts and fruit in a jar and buried it, the monkey would come along, narrow top, probably much different than this, but this is the jar that I had at home, okay? And I got some little Hershey's hugs in here. I, anybody else like Hershey's hugs? Man, they only come out like at Christmas, don't they? I always get them in my stocking. So I, I've got Hershey's hugs in here. There are a few, thing, a few candies that just, uh, boy, I'll, I'll eat them just about any time of day. And so I put these down in here. Then we're going to represent, this will represent whatever would entice the monkey, okay? And, and so they would bury them in the ground where it couldn't be lifted out. And the monkey would come along and he'd stick his hand down in that narrow hole and he'd grab a hold of those fruits and nuts, but then holding them, he couldn't get it out. Some of you have heard this before, right? It's not new. And so the monkey would hold on, and the monkey would start screaming because he couldn't get his hand out. He wanted that snack. He wanted that food, and he just would not let go. And then all of a sudden, here comes the hunter, and the monkey's got a choice to make, right? The monkey either holds on, which they did. They would not let go because they wanted that food. The hunter would trap them, hunter would kill them, that'd be it for the monkey. But the monkey had a choice, right? The monkey could either hold on to what he had or he could let go. And with a little work, y'all were worried for a minute, weren't you? I was too. He could let go and he was free. Now think about that. We've all been a monkey at some point in our lives. Maybe today. Maybe that's you today. We tend to hold on to things. We hold on to pain. We hold on to hurt. We hold on to bitterness. We hold on to possessions. We hold on to sin. We hold on to whatever we can grab a hold of in this life that makes us feel better about whatever we're dealing with. And we hold on to it. Maybe even something good. Our families, control, security, worry, stress, fear, all of these things, we hold on to it. And Jesus says, you've got a choice. You can hold on to that. I'm not sticking my hand in there again. You can hold on to that, and you can be trapped. And without me, if you don't accept him, you can die without me. You can hold on to it and be trapped, or by the grace of God, you can let go and be free and experience all of the joys, all of the plans, all of the blessings that I have for you now and in the future throughout eternity.
even in the storms of life, when the storms come, we can be confident. We can have assurance because we are free by the blood of Jesus. And I'll end with this. Proverbs 10, verse 25. When the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for all that you've done for us. As we look back over the greats of the faith, the Moses, David's, Joshua's, Gideon's, Abraham, all throughout Scripture, Peter, Paul, John, all of, all of those that we just look up to and, and hold in, in such great esteem, rightfully so, we know that they were ordinary men and women that you selected that you set apart for your service. And each and every one of them were called to a task that they could not accomplish on their own. They were called to endure things that they could not endure in their own strength. They were called to teach things that they could not understand without your divine presence and instruction. They were called to lead when they themselves did not have the skills or ability to lead, they were called to trust when it seemed the whole world was against them. But Father, you were faithful then, and you are faithful now. And Lord, we, this day I pray that we as your people will turn it all over to you, that we will submit Truly submit that you will inhabit us, you will manifest your presence, that we will release all control to you and that we will experience you work a miracle through us for your kingdom because there is too much hanging in the balance. The cost is too great. There are people whose lives are hanging in the balance and you've called us to the Great Commission. You've called us to your kingdom work. And that's more important than anything that we would ever hold on to that would interfere with what you want to do. Lord, I don't know how this message has touched the hearts of people here today. I pray if there are decisions that need to be made, that they will be made. But Lord, I pray that we as your people would just sit in your presence and worship you during this time of commitment. And Lord, that you would just touch our hearts and speak to us whatever you want to show us, that we would receive it, accept it, and live it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?